0: A team of scientists recreated conditions in space in a chamber. They formed the building blocks of life in their chamber, an organic residue that showed a link between space conditions and the ingredients for life on Earth. We are exploring this cosmic discovery next on this episode of Technology Today. We live with technology, science, engineering, and the results of innovative research every day. Now, let's understand it better. You're listening to the Technology Today podcast presented by Southwest Research Institute. From deep sea to deep space, we develop solutions to benefit humankind. Transcript and photos for this episode and all episodes are available at podcast.swri.org. Share the podcast and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to Technology Today, I'm Lisa Fenya. Today we are talking to SWRI space scientist, Dr. Donna Cosm. She and a team of researchers are working to understand how key building blocks of life may have become encapsulated in solar system objects like asteroids. Part of their research involved recreating space conditions in a chamber. During their experiment, they made an organic residue composed of the building blocks of life, and they learned more about how conditions in space play a vital role in forming the material. Such intriguing work. We're eager to learn more about it. Welcome and thank you for being here, Donna. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Okay, so there's a lot to understand here. Um, so we wanna start with a quick biology lesson. What are the building blocks of life?
1: The building blocks of life in the, the way that I describe it are essentially molecules that are fundamental to either creating or sustaining life. So uh, for example, the, our, the muscles in our body, we eat protein to gain muscle and protein is made up of amino acids and amino acids are made up of amines. Uh, And so these amines and amino acids, which eventually make up protein, which then help us gain muscle, that's what we would consider examples of the building blocks of life because they're, they're fundamental to sustaining life.
0: Our focus today will be on those amines and amino acids. So where are amines and amino acids found on earth i would i would guess everywhere but i'll let you let i'll let you tell us yeah so they're
1: essentially everywhere out in nature notably there are so there's there's a, a lot of uh, different types of amino acids but there are only 20 amino acids that are used in biology used in nature and so those amino acids are in in our bodies in
0: in our pets, um, uh, everywhere out here on Earth. They're not rare here on Earth. Why do we wanna know how the building blocks of life, these amines, these amino acids originated, why do we wanna find them in space?
1: That's a good question and I get that question a lot and I'm sure a lot of my colleagues also get that question from the general public, which is why Like why should people fund this research? Why should people even care about these molecules that are found in deep space and and how and or found here and, and where do they come from? And my take on it is why not understand this? Like why would we not want to figure out how they originated? I think of it as if our, if our ancestors never left their respective countries to explore the globe, to explore the Americas, I truly believe that our civilization would not be as advanced as it is today. And th- that's how I feel about the necessity of exploring the cosmos and understanding where did these, these building blocks of life, like we're finding certain building blocks of life that we have on earth way out in deep space and there, there could be a connection uh, on how life uh, happened on earth and and these uh, molecules that are found in deep space and so uh, what's what's quite interesting particularly in my research is that um, when we, we look for these building blocks of life these amino acids if they're found in an asteroid and asteroids are in our solar system that could mean that, okay, maybe the building blocks of life, the seeds of life, are just in our solar system, and our solar system is quite unique, but if we find these building blocks of life, these amino acids, way deep in interstellar space, in this this giant interstellar molecular cloud, which is kind of like the grandmother, um, that's where a bunch of solar systems came from, then that could indicate that, oh, there's actually this, like, frozen starter kit to life that has been distributed to potentially to other solar systems and not just ours. And so there could actually be an indication that life may exist, not just in in our solar system, but in other solar systems and in other planets. And I think that exploring this will definitely not just to um, uh, itch our curiosity, but to, to really advance our civilization as a whole.
0: So I like the way you explain that. Uh, first of all, calling uh, this this material the seeds of life. So you're seeing the seeds of life in asteroids, and that could explain how life sparked on Earth. But another thing you said, uh, this frozen starter kit to life could have expanded to other areas, other other solar systems, other parts of space. And, and so I think that's really interesting that... Um, you know your big question is well if these um, if these components sparked life on Earth could these components also spark life elsewhere?
1: My my heart really and my, my passion is to uh, my expertise is really in understanding the the chemistry uh, in the interstellar cloud which is that frozen has that like frozen starter kit to life and what I find so unique about studying interstellar chemistry is that it is really where where everything came from where our star came from where the solar systems came from where the planets came from and so whatever is found there is kind of like giving us indication that okay that those ingredients may maybe spread out elsewhere as well and we all right not be
0: alone So let's get into that. Um, Let's talk more about asteroids and the interstellar cloud. Um, Okay, first of all, what role do asteroids play in the formation of these building blocks of life?
1: Meteorites, a lot of meteorites. So meteorites are uh, essentially these uh, dust, uh, dust particles that fall through, through the Earth from space, and they land somewhere on Earth, and people collect them, and they analyze what's in the meteorites and they, they find these build, these like building blocks of life. and a lot of these meteorites come from um, asteroids and they also come from comets. but there's a lot of studies on a uh, strong link between meteorites and, and asteroids. and so um, and so essentially the, the asteroids essentially shed
0: uh, building blocks of life uh, onto earth
1: uh, every year.
0: Okay, so we have these asteroids in space. They are encapsulating these building blocks of life. We learn about that because once this debris falls to Earth in the form of a meteorite, scientists are able to analyze it and find these amines and amino acids there. Um, But your team is also taking this a step further um, so we know that these building blocks of life are in the asteroids, but your team is really looking closely at the interstellar, is it cloud, singular or interstellar clouds, plural? Um, but that's what, that's what you're really focusing on. Um, so tell us about the interstellar cloud. What is it?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the interstellar cloud is this giant cloud of dust and gas and ice. It is... Um it's located basically way past um well, so the interstellar medium um, is, is located way past our solar system, and uh, we once we all came from this interstellar cloud, so this cloud um we uh years back people thought okay there's nothing in this cloud, but there's actually a lot of rich chemistry there and um, what happens is that eventually this cloud will collapse under its own gravity, and this cloud will give birth to a star, to to multiple stars, and then these stars will eventually have um, a dust and uh, a, a, accreting around it, and then that dust kind of simplistically will will just come together and then you start forming the planets and solar systems and you have comets and you have asteroids and so this interstellar cloud is is kind of the the grandmother of it all in that Mm. it's what uh, um, where where everything essentially that we have here comes from
0: so is it like the, the is it the the space between the planets and the asteroids Is it like, is it in between the stars? Is it like that of what we think of as empty space and space, the blackness? Exactly. It's, uh, yeah, so interstellar.
1: So inter is uh, in between, and stellar is stars. So it's literally the dust, gas, and ice in between the stars.
0: Okay, there you go. (laughs) Interstellar, (laughs) yes, that is. it's, It's all right there. All we had to do was look a little closer at it, but yes. Okay, so. So initially it was thought that, um, that the significance of the interstellar cloud occurred once it collapsed on itself, but you are finding that that's not quite true. So how have conditions in these clouds contributed to the formation of the building blocks of life?
1: So, the, um, so in particular with my experiments, we found that um the so we looked at different type we created different types of amino acids and we so we, we created them under interstellar space conditions and then we processed them uh, under asteroid relevant conditions and what we found was that if you process them under asteroid relevant conditions it, it didn't matter what what type of conditions we were processing them under, the interstellar, um, the, the, the distribution of these building blocks of life formed from interstellar cloud conditions, they, they didn't change. They were resilient. So essentially what I'm trying to say is that these interstellar cloud conditions may dictate the distribution of these building blocks of life that are found in asteroids and then therefore found in meteorites. So uh, these conditions may be quite influential to uh, um, to the building blocks that we're um, that we'll be um, measuring uh, from meteorites and sample return materials.
0: Okay, so when you talk about you know recreating this process or processing these building blocks of life under interstellar cloud conditions, what does that mean? Are we talking about a certain temperature or force or what what do interstellar cloud conditions uh feel like
1: right so it's cold (laughs) it's not cozy
0: essentially
1: what we do is so there's um there's telescopes that have collected data on what type of ices are found in interstellar clouds including the very beautiful james webb space telescope and so what we know is that there's a lot of water, there's a lot of carbon dioxide, there's methanol and ammonia. So we took those ices, we cooled them to 10 Kelvin, and oh, I have to do the conversion to Celsius or Fahrenheit. It's very cold, it's almost at absolute zero. And we then bombard them with very high energy protons to simulate cosmic rays that are all over our universe, um, striking. There's, there's tons of radiation in space. Um, and, and so we basically irradiate these ices. And what happens is when you irradiate these ices, they go from being an ice, like this beautiful ice, to this kind of like gunky, like residue, origin of life residue. And you can actually see it with your naked eye. It, it looks kind of like an oily, yellow, orangey film Um, And and so that's how we we simulate um, the interstellar cloud condition in
0: the laboratory,
1: all all inside a vacuum chamber.
0: So when you start with this ice, are there any amines or amino acids in the ice, or it isn't until it's processed through these conditions that the the, um, amines and amino acids pop up? Right, the
1: amines and amino acids, they they pop up later. So we, we start out with very simple ices, so I'm starting out with like water, H2O, like what we, what we drink every day, carbon dioxide, which is what we breathe out every day. Just very, very simple molecules, and it's quite amazing to just start with these very, very simple components, and you just put a little bit of, well... This is not a little bit, but you irradiate them and you form amines, you form amino acids, you form really big molecules that is just even difficult to detect with our own technology. You form polymers, um, yeah, you you form a lot of very interesting uh,
0: components. Describe this chamber to us because it seems crazy almost that you can recreate these space-like conditions here on earth in like essentially a room how strong is this chamber what is it like what's it built what is it made out of
1: it's yeah so this it's um it's a all like metal uh vacuum chamber so it's um it's 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 shiny (laughs) well it can't be shiny (laughs) um it's it's uh yeah, it's, it's a metal chamber, you put together uh, conflat flanges, you, I'm basically, um, uh, I don't know, I guess you, I, I feel sometimes like I'm a plumber in the lab, I'm just building things and putting components together and uh, um, Did you build this chamber? I did not build this particular chamber. This chamber was built way back before I was born, I believe.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: but I have built chambers and I'm building one right now at SWRI um, uh, with a team of engineers. And so the the, ch- the chamber itself is, we, we want to get rid of all the, the stuff that's in air, so we pump it down. So we use a turbo molecular pump, and this turbo molecular pump is essentially the blades are so fine that it literally kicks out molecules and atoms out of the vacuum chamber and so you have a very 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 low pressure and in that case you're able to just really study the ice chemistry and not the ice chemistry with all these air contaminants.
0: So the purpose is you're, you're showing what might be happening in space, how these building blocks of life form in asteroids. So the chamber and the conditions in the chamber represent the interstellar cloud. So we we form an interstellar ice
1: in the vacuum chamber at the temperatures of an interstellar cloud and we irradiate the interstellar ice analog in the vacuum chamber and then when we're done when we we pull out this the it goes from an ice to a residue. That's the whole that whole thing is simulating what would happen in an interstellar cloud. But for the asteroid part, the asteroid part, the asteroid is actually really hot. The asteroid is actually, it has uh, liquid, it's, it's, the ice is essentially melts on the asteroid and, um, and, and so you actually have liquid aqueous chemistry on these asteroids. And so what we did was we took our interstellar residue, gunky residue, and then we immersed it into, uh, or we put it into a, a liquid. in. Uh, in water
0: and uh and that's how we simulated asteroid conditions oh okay so the thought is maybe that this um this this residue forms before it ever touches the asteroid but then once it okay so it's already formed when it it intermingles with the asteroid and the liquids in the asteroid and then it kind of becomes submerged in the asteroid water and then that's how it kind of gets encapsulated in there yep
1: yeah, that's that's uh, okay. that's how we we don't have direct proof of it but that's the evidence the evidence is leading to that and that's what that's what oh. we're trying
0: to explore and simulate okay all right so really amazing stuff you're doing in a lab uh, creating this residue that in, holds the building blocks of life so, um, and you, you described it a little bit to us, but if you could you know, tell us more about this organic residue. Um, I've heard it call, called the goo of life. Can we call it that? <laughs> what does yes. it look like? What does it feel like? Yes, that's, I also call it this like gunky goo yeah. <laughs> uh, stuff of
1: life. Um, it, I, you know, I did not touch it but <laughs> i was nervous yeah. i don't i don't really want to touch it but i looked at it and um it's it's really beautiful it's it really makes you feel closer to this type of research and i think it kind of goes back to the question of of you know why do we why do we care to understand the origins of these amino acids these building blocks of life in deep space and when you just look at it this 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 gunky residue that you formed and it's like wow like i just simulated something that like this may exist out in deep space and it kind of looks like the gunk that would may that may be in participating in the origin of life here on earth and um uh so it it definitely made me feel like a believer more (laughs) and and that um that there is really, there could be a very strong connection to what's out in deep
0: space and what we have here on Earth. So that's amazing. So it's a beautiful, gunky residue. (laughs) Yes, it's very beautiful. So we do have a picture of it, so I'll make sure that that ends up on our episode 52 webpage for our listeners to see it. But the picture we have, it's in this little tube, or it's in this little, um, little, it's in this little container. And it's just a slight amount. So how much or what does it take to make that little amount? I mean, are we or how can you make more of it?
1: Um, it It takes me maybe like half a day to make the residue to which you can really look at it. I think that picture particularly had a lot. So if I was super enthusiastic and wanted to stay in the lab for days and days, I could probably
0: make a lot of residue but i have a life so if you had the time of an interstellar cloud you might have more time (laughs) exactly all of eternity you might have more time to make more yeah (laughs) okay so i have a kind of a weird question next but i you know i have to ask because we're talking about having this goo in the lab that's essentially has the building blocks of life there so if left in the right conditions do you think that this residue could develop further? Like, I don't know, spark a simple life form. Sorry if this is a weird question.
1: I love this question. <laughs> it, it's very creative. It make it makes me get creative, um, which uh, in, in a different type of creativity that I don't get the opportunity to do so. I would love to to explore that. And you know, it's it's a question that a lot of that a certain um, Uh, a group of colleagues are exploring that trying to we are that is really like the golden question like the million dollar billion dollar question is what is the link between these you know gunky residues and actual life um and um I would that that's what we're trying to do when we're when we're pairing like when I did this experiment where I was simulating interstellar conditions and asteroid conditions that's us making the link between the interstellar cloud to the asteroid and now um, you know we should have more collaborations between like someone myself as an astrochemist and I would love to collaborate with maybe a biochemist um, or, or someone who understands more of you know what does it take to actually kick start life um, I just have some of these basic ingredients but I need to work with a chef so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah, I would, would, if anyone's out there listening,
0: I would, I would love to, to, uh, to explore further. further. So is there like an ethical component to this? Is there like a a place where maybe you wouldn't go past or do you have any, does, does anything give you pause to want to take this further as far as, you know, the ethical side of things?
1: Yeah. Like being another Dr. Frankenstein, um, yeah that's what I think of <laughs> um, yeah I it's yeah it's also a topic I feel nervous sometimes to talk about too because everyone has a different perspective on this situation of ethics I'm just super excited and curious I am that like nerdy curious scientist that just wants to push the limits and that's where my brain is and, um, I just, I, I, am not thinking that far cause I, I almost feel like, oh, like it's never going to happen. I'm never going to make that connection mm-hmm. to actual, to, you know, going from prebiotic to actual biology all in one go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm more excited of the idea if yeah. that were to happen. Do you get any pushback with the work you're doing? I do feel supported. But I do get pushback. I have had articles. I've had emails where um, people are not happy that I'm studying this kind of research. Yeah, not everybody's happy, but um, yeah. I appreciate the support that I get.
0: So let's talk about the first time that you whipped up this organic residue. What was that like? Did you know what you were going to get? Were you surprised? Yes, yeah, so I I wasn't super surprised
1: because people, they've done this um, before me, um, This uh, making these residues have been done in the past. Uh, the only, the well, not the only, but a big difference that I had done was I had then taken these residues and processed them under asteroid conditions, and that was the unique aspect of this, was taking it from the interstellar cloud to the asteroid. But um, going back to uh, looking at this, um, at this stuff, I, yeah, I guess I wasn't too surprised on paper, but it's just so, like I said, it's beautiful to look at. It's, it, like looking at it is, it gives you a whole different experience. It made me feel much more close to the idea of connecting interstellar space conditions to actually constructing life here on Earth and elsewhere. So yeah, on paper it wasn't surprising but in reality it felt a bit emotional.
0: Yeah, it's got to be uh, some probably something that you were looking forward to and then it it came to fruition so that had to have been a big moment for you. Yeah. So In addition to creating this residue in in the lab, this this material that encapsulates the building blocks of life, you are part of an international team that has used the James Webb Space Telescope to study ices that exist in the darkest regions of the interstellar clouds. So why is this significant?
1: Yeah, so this was a very exciting project. Um, uh, I... I feel so grateful that I had people who basically, who thought of me and thought that I would be a good addition for for this James Webb uh, Space Telescope project, and so, you know who you are, and I'm thanking you on this podcast. Um, And the reason that it, like, what makes this uh, particular observation so unique and looking um, looking into this like dark side of chemistry uh, in these interstellar clouds is before the James Webb, we could look at these interstellar clouds and we saw these ices before, but you needed a very high sensitive, highly sensitive telescope to look deep, like way deep into the cloud. Um, you can think of it as like if you have this like dust, like this dust cloud that is just like it gets thicker and thicker like the deeper you go, and so with like if you have a flashlight you just you can't see the, the the deepest regions and so the and the deepest regions are really cool because it's very cold and there's a lot of ice and there's a lot of chemical complexity but we just we weren't able to to see that before because we just didn't have uh, a telescope that could detect the light that would be coming um, um, out from these clouds and and now we do we have the james webb And now we're able to basically look at this whole, like, new, like, treasure chest of ices, this new inventory of ices that we haven't been able to probe before. And so we have a more complete understanding of the chemical complexities in these interstellar clouds.
0: And how does that work link back to the, the other project we've been talking about? You know, you mentioned you're getting a better view of these interstellar ices. Um, why is that important to understanding the building blocks of life again?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, there's, uh, a number of things. So, some some of the things that we saw and some of the things that we didn't see, um, those, those are both two very important things. So one of the things that we saw were not, it wasn't full evidence, but we saw very, uh, a strong case for more complex organics like ethanol. So ethanol is the type of alcohol that you would find in beer and wine, for example. So there's alcohol deep in these interstellar clouds, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that's it. it um, that that's getting closer to that's that's part of the building blocks of life, um, and and so we're finding these bigger uh, complex organics. Uh, in, in these uh, clouds indicating that that okay maybe some of these complex organics are have been passed down from the cloud to the asteroid and from the asteroid to to planets um, and then there are things that we didn't see so we for example we there's a there's a total amount of sulfur so sulfur is an element that's Uh, It doesn't smell great. It smells like rotten eggs, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's important to life. It's uh, it's considered a biogenic element. And we only detected 1% of the sulfur that we were expecting still. Even when we go deep into this cloud, we are still only detecting 1% of the sulfur that we are expecting. So 99% of the sulfur in these interstellar clouds is missing. We don't know where it is, where it's locked up. And so that is really interesting because that then that's telling us, okay, like we've now like explored all parts of this cloud and it's not in the ice. So where is it?
0: So essentially you're bringing together all these different pieces of this puzzle and you're trying to see what picture emerges. So really intriguing work. Again, you told us you're an astrochemist, we love to learn more about our scientists and our guests here on the podcast. So would you mind sharing a little bit about your background? How did you end up researching this particular area of space science?
1: Yeah, I love uh, sharing my background because I, every time I tell someone I'm a scientist, like the first thing they say is, oh, you're really smart. It feels nice to hear and i appreciate it and um but i also at the same time i i want to break that idea as well because i always so when i was younger i really liked space and, and the cosmos uh but school was really challenging for me and i you know i didn't have that teacher that was like oh like like like, that teacher motivated me to be a scientist. Like, no, like I would actually get in trouble frequently. And, not frequently, but I got in trouble. And I just I didn't have the best grades. And I actually have a, a diagnosed like language disorder. It's, it's hard for me to, um, to sometimes follow directions and speech. And um, I'm much better at teaching myself. So anyways, I never really considered myself as a smart kid. And, um, but I grew up thinking, oh, well, if you want to be a scientist, you have to be very smart because that's what everyone says. Um, and so, um, but I did have a mentor who was an astrochemist and that was the first person that gave me that reality that like, no, like you don't like, the perspective of your teachers and your your peers or your parents, your family doesn't matter. It's just if you have the motivation to do this, you can. So that is what basically made me feel confident to be a scientist. And so I went and um, I went to college and uh, studied astronomy and chemistry, and then I went to. Uh, graduate school and I actually I enrolled in a PhD program and I got I got kicked out I got kicked out after one year in a PhD program I was told basically I wasn't qualified and I again I just didn't I just didn't listen and I, I felt like I was smarter than that and I felt very accomplished and I felt that I could uh, if I was just in the right hands with the right people that I could um, I could pursue this and so I did and I ended up uh, doing really well somewhere else I went out to the Netherlands, I got my PhD I won a few dissertation awards from my my time there and uh, then did my postdoc at NASA Goddard and, and got some beautiful articles out of there and now here I am at SWRI as a space
0: scientist. So
1: I love sharing that background because yeah, it's, just, what, it's not it's not uh, what people think of as a scientist.
0: Yeah, what a great story, and I think a great example for students today. Um, I, I love the lesson there uh, that you shared, don't let others define who you are. And it was your motivation, your perseverance, and I, I think your curiosity that kept you moving along so thank you so much for sharing that personal story so where do you think this work will lead what's next to unlock uh
1: yeah there's so much to unlock and this is a beautiful uh, era to to be in as a scientist because of all these different space missions that are heading out to to jupiter and to uh uh, soon to uranus um voyagers out already in interstellar space Um, there's going to be a lot of data coming in and personally I am just really I'm I'm just so stuck in this like sulfur issue with the James Webb space telescope and where is all the sulfur in um in the interstellar cloud and I know it sounds so nerdy and like so specific but I just think sulfur is very important to life and the fact that 99% of it is missing in in the cloud and that that has implications for well, where is all that sulfur locked up in planets? Then, when this cloud becomes a solar system and a planet, and how does that sulfur chemistry um, happen? And so, that's what I'm specifically going to investigate at SWRI. Um, is this like sulfur issue? Where did all the missing sulfur go? And I'll be studying that in the laboratory, and then that will uh, that will help with um, understanding some of the data from from the James Webb Space Telescope.
0: Where is the sulfur? I feel like we need t-shirts and bumper stickers and make it a whole thing. Yes. (laughs) I have no doubt you're going to find it, Dr. Donna Cosm. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) let us know when you do. Uh, We'll have to have an update. All right. Well, truly such extraordinary research and world-changing work you are doing at SWRI. I am so curious to see where your work leads and what you uncover in the future. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and findings with us today, Donna.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed this.
0: And thank you to our listeners for learning along with us today. You can hear all of our Technology Today episodes and see photos and complete transcripts at podcast.swri.org. Remember to share our podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Want to see what else we're up to? Connect with Southwest Research Institute on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Check out the Technology Today magazine at technologytoday.swri.org. And now is a great time to become an SWRI problem solver. Visit our career page at SWRI.jobs. Ian McKinney and Brian Ortiz are the podcast audio engineers and editors. I am producer and host Lisa Pena. Thanks for listening.